Um, if you'd like to turn to Philippians, we'll kind of do that in anticipation. And we'll get a bit of background first. There we go. In Philippians 2. So, this letter was written, obviously, to the church in Philippi. And Philippi was quite an interesting city. It was in Greece, but it was a plant straight out of Rome. So, a very Roman place. And we can see in Acts 16 that this is where the church started when Paul came and visited. We see the conversion of the Philippian jailer, and we see Lydia, and we see the start of this church. So this letter to the church in Philippi, which I put a map up because I like this kind of thing. Um, This letter was written a few years after that, actually, when Paul was in prison. And it was written because... The Philippian church had sent a gift to Paul, hearing he was in prison. They'd sent one of their leaders, Epaphroditus, and they'd sent a gift that would really bless Paul. And so this letter is a thank you note. It's Paul saying, thanks for what you've done. It's an extended thank you note, um, because Paul gets carried away, as he does in quite a lot of things. And so what he starts off doing is he starts saying, thank you for what you've given us. Or given me, thank you for your support. And he starts talking about how we should be as a church and as people together. So he looks at that and then he looks at Jesus, which is what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to flip it on its head slightly. So we're going to look at Jesus first and then we're going to look at how that affects us and our life. So we will read the passage. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we will look today at three attitudes of Christ Jesus. We will look at the humility, we will look at the service, and we will look at the love of Jesus. And then we'll see how those apply to us and shape us. So, first things first. Humility. We, as a, as a culture, we like seeing people humbled. Um, if there's any scandals with politicians, we like seeing kind of people who we think are above us brought low. Um, if you've ever seen I'm a Celebrity, that's a whole show that's built around people being humbled by I don't know, eating camel bums or something. It's, um, but we like that as long as it's not us. And here we see Jesus humbling himself. This is a great bit of the passage where it talks about Jesus stepping down. And to fully understand it, we need to see where Jesus started off from. We need to have an idea of what Jesus humbled himself by becoming a human, what he humbled himself from. And so for us, we can see humility as our pride being removed. Um, That's often how we think of it. Sometimes it can be really hard. But with Jesus, that wasn't the case. Jesus didn't have pride to be removed. And so there is a slight difference. And so in John 1, verses 1 to 4, we have this. I'll just read it from the slide. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing that was made has been made. In him was the life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So this is a great image of Jesus before Christmas. So before, you know, 2,020 years ago, before Jesus was born, Jesus existed. He, wa- he is God. He was God. He was in heaven living in perfect community, in perfect love with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus stepped down from. This perfect love, this perfect situation in heaven. Jesus humbled himself. The creator of the universe became a man. The immortal God became mortal man for us. It's kind of, it's kind of like when a king becomes a peasant. A king abdicating his throne to become a peasant. But it goes further than that. In that, that Jesus gave himself up for the kingdom. He gave himself up for us. Jesus gave up the status and the glory that he deserved. He gave it up that he might save us. It's fantastic humility to see that actually, in order to bless us, he he set that aside. He kind of stepped down from this great thing and he went. And it wasn't just a humility in terms of he became a man and that was it. Actually, he went further. He died on a cross. He died a sinner's death that we deserved, even though he didn't. The sinless God didn't deserve any of it. Now we'll move on to the the service of Jesus. In Philippians 2 verse 7, we see, Rather, he made himself nothing, By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This is this is like we were talking about humility, this is great for us. It's good news. This is the fantastic gospel that not only did the maker of the universe become a human, the maker of the universe served us. He blessed us. The one who could evidently be over us stepped down to love us. And so I think we see here, actually, the service of Jesus is the outworking of his humility. Without the humility of stepping down, there couldn't be that service. Because he was greater, he is bigger, better than us. But because he humbled himself, he could serve us. Um, I, I, we recently watched a program called the, uh, the Secret Life of Six-Year-Olds. I don't know if you've seen it. If you're a parent of six-year-olds, it's terrifying, I'm sure. Um, but the idea of it is they put cameras and microphones all around a school, and they kind of monitor the children, show their development, show the, how they're interacting. But on, on the episode that we watched, they asked a question to the kids, and this will be an interesting one for the kids to think about, and maybe parents, you can use it later to see what stage your kids are at. But they asked the kids, if you were king or queen... What would you do? And you see the kids think for a minute. And every single one of them then went, I would get servants to bring me things that I want. I would get them to do what I want them to do. They would bring me gifts and food and it would be fantastic. And so there's, there's that sense, even in six-year-olds, of I would get people to serve me. I have the power. 
But in Jesus, we see kind of the opposite. We see Jesus who ruled and reigned over everything becoming the servant to bless us. In Matthew 20, 26 to 28, it says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see, actually, that not only did Jesus come and serve us, but the kingdom that he brought in, it's turning its head from normal kingdoms. It's not about us becoming first or becoming the best. It's about us serving. That is how we are meant to be together, because we are meant to emulate, we're meant to copy what Jesus has done. John I don't have it on there. John 13, 3 to 9. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under him, under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my head and my hands as well. This is a great example of Jesus practically serving his disciples. He's teaching them here. I love the first line of this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. That, to me, does not suggest washing feet next. That, that, to me, is, you know, Jesus understands where he is. If this was me, this would be a, I know what's happening. I'm just going to relax. Let them bring me stuff for a while. But actually, this is how servant-hearted Jesus is. This is the heart of his humility. Is that he knew all these things. He knew that God had put everything under him. He had the authority, and yet... He served, and he did the job that was lowest of the low. This is the lowest job that servants did, washed feet, because feet are gross. The, the, oh, there's nothing nice about feet. And yet, actually, Jesus did this to show kind of that level of service. Actually, the, the rabbi, the teacher, was serving by washing feet, and it was a, a precursor. to to the rest of what Jesus would do, that he'd go further still to die the sinner's death on a cross, taking our sin that he he didn't deserve. And Peter's response to this is interesting. Peter reacts straight away. I I imagine it's a bit like Peter's thinking the other rabbis aren't washing feet. What is going on? Jesus, stop doing this. But then Peter also knows how important it is to be part of what Jesus is doing. To, to see that service. So Peter goes from, you're never touching my feet, to wash all of me in an instant. And it's just, Peter's grasped the heart of being in Jesus. He's grasped the heart of following his teacher. Oops. I think Isaiah 53 sums this up brilliantly. Hundreds of years before Jesus came. It says, yes, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, 
He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Jesus was the righteous servant. He done, he'd done everything right. And he served us. It's such a great truth. It's such a great thing to live in. To know that actually this is our example. This is what Jesus has done to set us free. And thirdly, we'll look at the love of Christ. So in Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8, it doesn't explicitly mention the love of Christ. But I'd say that the love of Christ is what inspires all of this. I, I don't think we can think about Jesus without thinking about love. That his love is what took him to the cross. His love for us. And I think that if we, don't, if we have humility and service but we don't have love, there's no point to it. And I think it's the same here. Jesus' love is what inspires, is what motivates all of this. And we see in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But what's great about this love is that it's an undeserved love. It's not a love that we have earned. We aren't here because we are the prettiest. We are here because we are the most moral. We're here because Jesus loves us, and that's it. We've not earned it in any way. Romans 5.10 talks about us being enemies of God. And yet Jesus died for us. That was how it was. And I, re- I remember a story about an army cadet. It was an American guy, and he was in his barracks. And this, this cadet, this guy, was horribly bullied. His other barrack members did not like him at all. They constantly played pranks. They just made his life a misery. And one day, they came up with the ultimate prank. What they did is they got a dud grenade. They got a grenade that they knew wouldn't go off. And they took it with them to the barracks. And when our bullied soldier, when he came in, he was getting his kit ready, he was putting it in his locker, and they pulled the pin out of this grenade and they rolled it towards him. Now, our bullied soldier, upon seeing this grenade in the midst of all his fellow soldiers, grabbed his helmet, leapt onto the grenade... And shout, save yourselves, run! And this is a great example of love. This soldier gave up his life because he had no idea it was a dud grenade. He had no idea it wasn't going to explode. He gave up his life for those soldiers who'd bullied him, who'd made his life misery. And obviously this had an effect on the rest of the barracks because they were expecting him to run away scared. But actually, he made this great sacrifice because he didn't know. And so I think this illustrates a bit of what Jesus has done for us. He, while we were enemies, he died for us. 1 John 3.16, the first part, says, This is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. So let's have a bit of application. Let's look at what the attitudes of Christ mean to us. Let's build on the rock 
of Jesus and, and his examples and how we see. Humility is definitely thinking less of ourselves and looking out for others. In a, in a church context, we're meant to be looking out for one and not putting ourselves first, but putting others first. And Jesus is obviously our example in this. Where Jesus humbled himself from, we are never going to be there. We are not perfect. We are not all-powerful. We are not immortal. And so Jesus humbled himself to lower than we could possibly go. He lowered himself to die for us. And so humility for us is nothing compared to what Jesus did. And yet we have to make sure that amongst us, we're not putting ourselves first. Just before the main part of this passage, we see Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Our worth is not in what we do. Our worth is not how many people flock to us. Our worth is in Jesus and all that Jesus has done for us. That allows us to humble ourselves because I, I have been saved, I have been justified, and I have contributed nothing to that. Not one thing. This is the great grace, the great freedom that we have been given. And I think it's worth highlighting the difference between Jesus' humility and our humility. You see, Jesus had a status. Jesus had the glory that he deserved. And yet he gave it up to save us. I think I certainly am. I'm quite prone of putting myself in the position of being center of the universe. I think giving up pride and humbling myself, I need to confess my sin and think of myself less. I think it can be quite easy to be self-centered. I think of it a little bit like the medieval view of the planets. Now bear with me. Um, (laughs) The medieval view of the planets was that everything, everything went around the earth. Everything circled us. And that was a perspective thing. From standing on earth, when we look up at the sky, we see the sun going over the sky. We see the planets going over the sky. And so from our perspective, it looks like everything orbits us. And I think that's the same in life. I think because I'm the only one that sees what I see, I'm the only one who feels what I feel. It can be very easy to put myself in the center of the universe. Everybody else is just kind of orbiting me. But in reality, actually, we're part of something bigger. Just as the Earth is part of the solar system, it orbits the sun, which is part of the Milky Way, which is part of the whole universe, the Earth isn't the center of the universe. In the same way, I am not the center of everything. We are not the center of everything. Actually, we're part of something so much bigger, so much greater in God's plan and God's kingdom. We live in quite an individualistic society, I'd say. I think the general attitude is me first. It is about me. I am the center of the universe. But what we are called to be as the church, what we are called to reflect, is actually that serving, that blessing of other people. We can be... We can also think of humility in terms of an individualistic thing. It is humbling myself 
I think another aspect of it is saying we need help. And being able to depend on other people. This is the great thing about the church. We're brought together not to be a bunch of individuals who worship God and leave. We're brought to be a community where, where we have struggles. We can help each other out. We could be humble and say, I'm struggling with this. And people will pray. Um, a great example, for instance, is nerves before you're preaching. A lot of people will pray for you. It's great. <laughs> um, C.S. Lewis said, Humility is not the art of trying to think low thoughts of oneself, but the art of not thinking of oneself very often. I think that's it. It's not about us thinking we're rubbish, and that's humility. Humility is about thinking about others first. So next, following on, obviously, is service. Just as it was with Jesus, our service should come out of our humility. When we lower ourselves, we can then really bless people. And then with Christ's example, we can see that he went, he went to the lowest of the low in dying on that cross, in taking a sinner's cross. And so for us, again, no service is too low. It's not a sense of... Uh, it's not a sense of, I've been in this church for several years now, I've graduated beyond stacking chairs. It's actually, what, what is going to bless people? This is the aim in our service. How will people be blessed by what we do? And it's the same, in the same way, our service adds nothing to our salvation, it adds nothing to our image. Our image, our, who we are, is set in Jesus. It's him who has justified us. And so, you know, being preaching, say, does not make me any better. Leading worship does not make you better than a drummer. Actually, all of this is service. All of it is the same. It's the same with doing drinks. All service is seen by God. It does not add any value to us. Our motivation shouldn't be, I'm going to gain something. I'm going to look important. Our motivation should be, what is going to bless people? I also think Jesus' example points out that we can do things that sometimes we don't want to do, but things that will bless others. We see it when Jesus is in Gethsemane and he's, not my will, but your will be done. That's struggle. But actually it's that service that blesses other people. That, that kind of service is what should shape our relationships, our friendships. It should shape our marriages. It should shape our church completely looking to what blesses others instead of what I like doing and what I want to do is really radical. It's saying I'm not first. It's saying the church, God's church, God's kingdom is first serving him. And then finally, we'll look at love. I think Jesus' love we saw was kind of two-directional, I'd say. We have the love towards the Father, loving God first. And then from that love, we have loving people, loving others, and, and we're called to be the same. We are called to love God first. And in the same way, we love worship. We love worshiping God. That can be, that can be easier, I think, than the second step of loving other people. In 1 John chapters 3 and 4, 
John mentions loving one another at least six times. And the question is, why? Why is John hammering this home? Uh, The students who were there a couple of weeks ago, we had this question. (laughs) Why? Why is he repeatedly saying this? I think it's because it's hard. It's something that needs to be reinforced because loving other people can be difficult. Other people can be annoying. It might just be me, but actually, (laughs) other people can be irritated. It can be hurtful. In fact, there, there are probably people here today who've been hurt by churches. But what we are called to do is to love one another. Not because people amongst us deserve it. It's because Jesus loved us. Because why we were enemies. I don't think anybody here is enemies. Um, I, in, you know, in my society, in my circle today, I don't think I have any enemies. And so it should be that bit easier to love us, to love each other. I think Mark Driscoll highlights something in his marriage book. And I've got an equation to show it. I'm a scientist. I like it. Here we go. In his marriage book, he says, one sinner plus one sinner does not equal a sinless marriage. For us to expect perfection when we are involved is a little bit too much. I think this can be, I'm going to use the word extrapolated. Uh, (laughs) This can be upgraded increased to church. One sinner plus a bunch of sinners does not equal a sinless church. We will make mistakes. We are none of us perfect. But by looking at Jesus, by looking at the grace that he had for us, by knowing what he's done for us, that helps us to love one another. That shapes how we should be as a church and as a people. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Our love should be noticeable. It shouldn't be just lip service. Aren't they great? Actually, our love should be how we serve. I think weddings are actually a really great example of this. When you have a wedding in City Church, it's fantastic. People love to serve, and it blows away any guests that come to your wedding. People serving in the catering, people will come up to us and go, "Um, where did you get your caterers, and how much do they cost? Because everybody does that wedding comparison. Um, And actually we go, the church is doing it for free. (gasps) How much did it cost to hire the building? Actually, we're part of the church. We got it for free. It blows people away. It's that fantastic service. People didn't respond like that. Um, But it's that fantastic service. And I think as a church, it's that service, that love amongst us that people should encounter every day of the week. It's not just a special occasion thing. People should be blown away by how we love one another. And I think they are. I think this is just an encouragement to keep it up to keep going, let's keep loving, looking to Jesus and all that he's done. That is to be our basis for everything. It is not, oh, I have to love people. Actually, we need to look at Jesus and what he's done and say, oh, fantastic. Let's love one another because he loves all of us here. We are his church. And I think the best way to finish off 
is I, I set out all these points and I found this verse and I was like, this is perfect. Thank you, God, for your word. In Galatians 5.13, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Sums it up perfectly. Let us do that. Let that be our hearts. Let that be our church. Looking to Jesus and the freedom he has given us. That we can be free. That we can love one another. That we can serve and we can be humble. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. I thank you, Jesus, that it's because of you we are free. I thank you that looking to you is what shapes us. That we will never serve more than you, we'll never be more humble than you, we'll never love more than you, but because of all you have done, we're becoming more like you. We are becoming more humble. We're becoming greater in love. We are looking to serve. And I pray, Jesus, would you help us, Holy Spirit, to, to apply this. Would you help us to look to you and just be inspired, to be enthusiastic about your people and how we should be together. Holy Spirit, I pray for us as we go out from this place that we would just continue to look to you in our groups, in our relationships, in our work, in our schools, would we look to you and what you've done and let that shape us. Help us, Lord God. Amen.